welcome to The Other Coast, a podcast detailing the Malifaux meta in Los Angeles. My name is Jeff, and with me here is another SoCal player, Colgan. Hey, everyone. Hey, Colgan. Uh, so today, we are going to talk about how to get into Malifaux. Uh, I see frequently on uh, Malifaux's Reddit channel or on um, like a, a weird place or maybe on some of the discords, you know, how do I get into this game? It comes up frequently enough to where I felt like we should maybe do an episode about it. But at the same time, uh, this is something that we have talked about before. Um, and, and we may even have a couple episodes, I don't know about dedicated to it, but that does cover this material in enough completion to where like maybe can be fairly asked, like, why are we talking about this now or again? So, Kogan, I'm maybe can you help uh, answer that question at all? Being involved since like M3E started, I didn't really think about it as much, but like recently I feel like the game has changed so much since, you know, third edition first came out. And, you know, some of the advice for starting, I think was a holdover probably from second edition. Cause I know when I started, everyone was like, all right, you know, like pick a faction, get like two or three masters. Cause you might switch through them as needed based on like the pool and everything. You know, when you and Jim would always talk about second edition, my understanding was that you pretty much had your set crew of models and then you just kind of swapped masters in and out depending on how you felt that day or not at all in the case of some factions where one master was just kind of better than all the others. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it did have that dynamic uh, towards the end, at least, I mean, for some of the factions in particular, uh, like especially Arcanist, which I played was, you know, very much like that. Yeah, Uh, I mean, I also think that some of the earliest episodes we did were sort of about this topic of like introducing people to Malifaux or whatever. Mm -hmm. And even though that is beginner content, it's maybe not content that beginner podcasts uh, should be tackling at the start. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I don't think we're going to be winning any, any, uh, I don't know what podcast awards are called potties or whatever. I I don't know, but whatever the awards are, I don't think we're going to be winning any, but at the same time, I would like to think that over the last 50 something episodes, we have become better, uh, better podcasters. I mean, we could always make our own awards show and just award ourselves. Uh, well, why don't we just award each other? Because then that would be somewhat <laughs> less sad. <laughs> uh, I mean, sorry to say, but you don't meet my standards for podcasting. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. So just in brief, you know, we're talking about this again because, yeah, things have changed and we have changed. And also the question comes up often enough to where even if we have touched on some of these subjects before, it might be useful to collect the information that we provide, or at least our thoughts on this topic uh, in one place. So, Colgan, what's the first way someone might get into Malifaux? Now, with like the titles being released and every master basically having two versions, and it also seems like the designer's intention is to basically make it so that by choosing one of the title, or the titles are going to be varied enough that they can play into kind of any strategy and scheme. So at this point, my recommendation to most people starting the game is really to pick one master and one keyword to start with and kind of focus on that. I don't think that faction play is really a thing that is relevant anymore. And I definitely wouldn't recommend someone saying like, all right, all right, pick your faction first because you're eventually going to like start filling out more models. I think that you can just buy one master, buy the keyword, and that's pretty much like you're set for playing that. You might pick up Versatile specifically for that keyword, 
but I don't think you're ever looking at the faction as a whole anymore when you're starting to collect. You know, your basic argument is that between the titles and because there are uh, versatile and potentially out of keyword options, essentially any master is going to be able to cover enough requirements to where you can be pretty comfortable playing them into pretty much any pool. Yeah, I don't think you're going to be like at a huge disadvantage for picking a certain master just because with the titles you can flex into enough. That being said, I think there is probably going to be an adjustment period where you're learning what playstyles fit you and what playstyles are available within Malifaux itself. Right. No, I mean, I, I would agree with that. I think Malifaux 3rd Edition uh, has become a master-based game and faction identity is a very loose concept. And maybe you can say that it was never um, necessarily super strong, but I think it is... Uh, or rather has diminished um, from third compared to second. And that's not necessarily a criticism. There's no reason why factions uh, have to have like a really strong mechanical tire or, or anything. But I just, yeah, I would agree with the analysis that this is really a game where the delineations are at the master level. So, you know, by analogy, master selection is kind of like how you choose your army. And when we see a lot of questions uh, about getting into Malifaux, so do you think it's, like less clear for a prospective player to identify how to get into Malifaux if they don't know anything about it as compared to a game like 40k? Yeah, going from there, you know, generally if I'm going to other miniatures games, like I just started playing A Song of Ice and Fire, mm-hmm. and it's just like, all right, which faction, you know, which army do you want to play? There's like Targaryens, there's Greyjoys, and you go into there and like, all right, these are your options. Where if you take the same analysis of Malifaux, you know, someone wants to get to Malifaux, it's like, all right, there's eight factions. So I think coming from that, I'm like, oh, there's probably eight armies in Malifaux, so I just need to pick one of them. And then you go in, it's like, all right, I'm going to be guild, and now there's like eight masters and a ninth one on the way. (laughs) And it's like, okay, so then where do I start from here? Because then there's the idea of keywords, which that idea I don't think really exists in any other um, miniature game I've played, or at least not to like the same level as it is in Malifaux especially with all the synergies and everything. Mm-hmm. I can see it be very confusing, especially because, you know, like we were saying, I think at the beginning of the edition, the recommendations were, yeah, you pick a faction, get like two or three masters, which now with titles and everything, I think is not a good way to approach getting into Malifaux for the first time. Right. I do think that that is a good distinction to draw because, you know, you're right. I do think a lot of people are going to be familiar with the idea of a game that is divided up into factions. But in Malifaux, that does not mean the same thing that it means in, you know, other games, A Song of Ice and Fire, Conquest, or Warhammer, 40k, or AOS, or pretty much any other game that's that's faction-based, you know, the faction is the army. But in Malifaux, it, it really is much more, you know, the case that the master is going to be the army. So, you know, our, our suggestion is, uh, you know, you just kind of uh, pick a master, and I think here it really all has to be about rule of cool right if a master if a master seems good to you if you like the aesthetics that's probably a good first choice any game there's going to be discussion about tier lists and everything like that but i think you know as we discussed overall malifaux is fairly balanced and i think with how the objective scoring and everything goes and with the titles generally you can't go too wrong with picking a master at this point i think back when there weren't title options there were some choices like that you could kind of get pigeonholed into and it might 
give you like a pretty negative impression on the game just because you're not able to play into a lot of the scenarios effectively. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think titles really have uh, opened up options so that most masters are able to play into the vast majority of pools. Now, whether or not that's a, a good thing or a bad thing for the game, I think people can have differing opinions, but it's certainly a good thing in terms of uh, master selection, not forever dooming you to a certain subset of horrible games. Malifaux also has uh, what are called uh, starter boxes. Uh, would you necessarily suggest that someone start with a starter box as opposed to a master box? You know, as you were saying, it is a master-based game. And I can I think that's another part that's confusing. You come in, the, there's a master core box, and then there's the starter box, which has no master in it. So, right. like, what is a master in Malifaux? Do you even need them? Is it just, like, a super strong model that only some people use? So, yeah, the starter box, I think, is, like, a trap, especially with how strong keyword synergies are in certain factions. Like, all right, I picked up the starter box, and I really want to play Dreamer. <laughs> it's like, okay, good for you. Like, you want nightmare models that all have lucid dreaming and can, like, play into this hand discard and, you know, Dreamer can summon them. So you're probably never touching that starter box again. Yeah, I, I think, you know, if you are familiar with other games, like, you know, Warhammer 40,000, you see the the orc, well, no, let's be honest, the Space Marine start collecting box. <laughs> um, you, you know, you, you buy that and now you have a Space Marine army. Uh, but if you buy the Neverborn starter, uh, do you have a Neverborn army? No, you don't. Now, you, you have four models that, as you said, don't um, don't include like the most important class of model for the vast majority of games. I mean, yes, you can run Henchman Leader, but let's you know skip over that for the moment. But also, uh, the starter boxes, you know, these models are not necessarily easy to play. Uh, the Neverborn starter models require, uh, you know, they have a ton of synergies that you have to pay attention to to really get maximum value out of them the explorer society box you know like tannenbaum that is not a starter beginner friendly model right i mean that's a, a it's a pretty advanced model that's dealing with uh schemes and stuff and so yeah they weird basically packaged some models together and threw in a fate deck and a little measuring widget and some scheme tokens all of which i think weird made a mistake on like just doing them in cardstock. I think uh, if you are going to call something a, a starter box, you really want to impress prospective players with the quality. So I think they would have been much better off if those had all been in acrylic. But the inclusion of a fate deck and some markers does not make the models themselves inherently good for beginners. I was just looking at it again for Klaus because I remember him being kind of confusing too. And it's like he has Infiltrator and then Pocketful of Personalities as a trigger. And I'm like, <laughs> even after playing so much, like Infiltrator is such a mindfuck. It is. It like, you know, how that works in a huge host of situations is arguably unclear. But even even if the resolution is known, it might not always be so simple to to manage at the table. Pocketful personalities already required in errata or or a fac or whatever or an FAQ. I, I forget what I'm supposed to say. <laughs> but yeah, so these these are not you, you know models that maybe just have a stat five gun and a stat five punch and they're going to teach you the basic mechanics of of the game. No, these are are models that are being introduced into a game that already you know the meta is already very mature. It's already very developed, and these models are meant to advance play uh for an already developed game 
And if you're a beginner and you come to this and you're reading the cards and you're like, well, I'm lost, you're not to blame. Weird is to blame. The starter boxes are not good to start with. Weird has had this problem before. The second edition starter box was not a great product. You know, it, it came with crews that had some balance issues. It came with uh, missions that weren't uh, like part of the default way to play the game. Uh, and then the tape measures it came with were the cheapest pieces of junk like that you could imagine. If you'd been given like old fashioned tailor tape that, you know, it's not even a tape measure. It's just like a, a length of string with knots in it. It couldn't have been worse. The only thing about the second edition starter deck are the fate decks are pretty cool. Uh, and so if you can find those cheap on eBay or whatever, and, and you're someone who, who enjoys fate decks, um, those are worth picking up. Although I should note that the rules for the jokers that are printed on those cards are no longer accurate for third edition. But yeah, so weird as a bad track record with starter editions and just don't start with the starter box and think you're ready. You know, the more I think about the starter box is just, God, such a bad name. Cause like you don't even have like a totem, even if you're gonna play like henchman. Wait, henchman hardcore, you still get a totem, right? I believe so. I'm not super familiar with henchman hardcore because I just as I've talked about in other episodes, I'm not super interested in alternate game modes mm. for Malifaux. But yeah, it's also masters are easily the most iconic part of like the lore and the game. And it's like in the starter box, you're they're just not there. You just don't have that option. So I feel like if you go into this blind and you pick up a starter box and then you learn more about the game, it's like, well, fuck me, right? <laughs> like, I can't yeah. play a proper game. I'm not even close to what I need. No, I, and also like the Outcast starter box is, yeah, these are Outcast models, but most of them are for the syndicate keyword <laughs> for an Explorer Society master. Oh, and so God. it's, you know, you buy that and you open it up. It's like, okay, well now I just got to get the syndicate uh, Outcast dude. Nope. <laughs> So, so, yeah, I mean, I think the starter boxes are fine for existing players. They're even fine for a newer player that maybe has picked up a master box and, and they're looking to to expand a little bit. But they are not, as as a description would seem to indicate, the kind of thing that a new player should like pull off the shelf and, and buy as a way to get into Malifaux. Uh, and this warning may be lost on people because by the time you're listening to a podcast about Malifaux, especially one of the more obscure podcasts like ours, <laughs> you're probably already in the game. So it, it makes me sad that we probably aren't going to save anyone with this desperate plea. But just please do not buy the starter set as your introduction to the game, thinking that it's going to be a good foundation to get you into it because it is not. It might even be counterproductive for all the reasons that we've just spent, I don't know, like five minutes ranting about. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're pretty much, you know, in agreement that in terms of products, uh, the, the best way to start is kind of with the master box it calls to you, that the starter box is not a good way to start. Um, but what about the other side starter set? Is that at all a good reason to start with Malavo, and why is this even a question if it's for another game called the other side yeah so that's that's another thing that yeah we wanted to touch on because now weird is pushing pretty hard and like crossover models between uh Malifo, the skirmish level game and the one their later made game the other side which is their army scale version Mm -hmm. I, I guess for background for people who aren't familiar with the other side basically it doesn't happen to Malifo. It happens on Earth, mm -hmm. and there's factions and armies that exist there that 
don't really exist in Malifaux and a lot of characters that don't exist in Malifaux. But recently, Weird has been putting a push and like their newest two-player starter includes the title versions of two Malifaux masters. So if you actually wanted to play those masters and their units in Malifaux, you actually have to buy the other side starter box in another excellent and very clear marketing <laughs> rollout <laughs> from Weird. Yeah, and so amusingly, neither Guild nor Court of Two, I believe, currently have enough commanders to play a full-size game of the other side. So, you know, is this like really a great starter for Guild or, or Court of Two? Well, I mean, a half-size game is probably a good place to start anyway, so maybe you can let them off the hook there. But unless you're already, you know, kind of at a certain level of Malifaux literacy, you're not really going to understand uh, whether or not the models that come in the other side starter are a good way to start with uh, Sonya and Kirai. <laughs> um, and as it happens, you know, I think maybe it's an okay way to start with Kirai too, but it's not a good way to start with Sonya too. She's really going to be dependent on on a lot of models that you, you don't get. So if you are looking to purchase that as a way to begin in Malifaux, um, because you just happen to know somehow that you can start Malavo potentially with with that box. I'd say it's a more viable way for uh, a Kirai 2 player than for a Sonya 2 player. Yeah, I mean, Sonya 2, you don't even get the totem in the box, right? No, you don't. I mean, I don't think so, anyways. Yeah, so I, even I if you want to play Sonya, you have to pick up the core box regardless, unless you... Because I guess technically you cannot take your totem and just like... <laughs> I don't even know if that's a thing. It's just free points. I always take it. Yeah, I mean, I think you can, and maybe if it's, um, you know, if it's a scenario like where you can get points from killing and the totem isn't insignificant, maybe you might say, well, I'm not going to give them an easy target or something, but I've never seen that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you know, basically the, the three entry ways are a Master Core box, uh, which is the way we suggest, the Malifaux faction starter boxes, which we very much do not suggest. Uh, and then the other side starter, which if you happen to know that they are a way to begin a Malifaux crew, uh, we we think it's a better option for a Kirai 2 player than a Sonya 2 player. I feel like it can kind of be summed up. If you're coming to us on advice for how to start Malifaux, just don't buy anything with the word starter in it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's interesting to me because weird didn't release the second edition starter box until very late into second mm -hmm. and they haven't released you know these faction starter boxes not every faction has one right now and we're several years into third and similarly with the other side the other side is around for years before this two-player starter set came out i feel like for whatever reason weird does not think that starter products are a good fit for them and it confuses me that they believe that because the kind of game that Malvo is, which we'll talk about in a second, is, is not necessarily the easiest game to play. And this question about like how I get into Malvo comes up often enough to where I genuinely do believe that there is a certain degree of confusion amongst the potential player base out there, people who would like to play, but don't know how to get into the game. Do you think that would help at all if the Master Core boxes were just called Master Starter boxes? It would be, I think, an interesting uh, marketing experiment. If they, mm. you know, if it did just say master starter box, yeah, I mean, maybe that would help. If Weird does it, they can uh, send us a kickback. <laughs> <laughs> they can just subscribe to our Patreon. Uh huh. We'll, we'll have validation.
<laughs> okay, so that's kind of like a, a brief discussion about like how to buy into the game. But I guess the question which should be asked even before that is, should you buy into the game? Now, we have had, you know, this topic we're going to pretty much skim over because we've had entire episodes about, like, what kind of player, you know, Malfoy would appeal to or what the Malfoy experience would be like. But since this is kind of an episode about how to get into it, Colgan, would you maybe speak briefly about, uh, like, the kind of player you think Malfoy would appeal to or, like, you know, the kind of game that Malfoy is? Um, yeah, I think if you really like having, I guess, you know, if you like skirmish games, smaller scale stuff, uh, Malfoy definitely fits into that. But you want kind of like a more in-depth, like strategic, very like, I guess, heavy decision making throughout the game. So, you know, if you're more into like stuff like Warcry and Kill Team, I don't think that Malfoy will necessarily appeal to you because it is a much, I'll say like heavier and involved system, right? Mm -hmm you can't just go from like one master to another and immediately kind of know how they play. Like, you know, when you have like summoning masters um, versus just like straight up brawl masters versus masters that don't even want to fight, the difference in play styles available, I think vastly different compared to other mini war games where it's mainly like, all right, these guys punch in a slightly different way. Right. So if you really like the idea of, I cannot think of the word where, where it's like, you know, one side isn't the same as the other, but they both have ways of winning. Asymmetrical? Yes, thank you. God, I couldn't think... I, I kept thinking, like, adversarial, but that's not right. <laughs> um, yeah, it it has, like, probably the highest level of asymmetry I've had... I've seen in, like, any war game, and that makes for very interesting game experiences, but it can also make for some very frustrating games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it also, it has a steep learning curve. It uses cards as its resolution rather than dice, and the cards are not a gimmick, right? The cards are central to the way the game works, and if you understand the implications that a deck of cards has, that's a big advantage over a player who looks at it just as kind of like a paper form of dice. But that is an added factor uh, that you have to, you know, that you have to worry about in terms of gameplay. It's also a very skill-based game, and, and we're not saying that luck isn't isn't a thing. Luck is a thing in Malifaux. You can totally, you know, get deck screwed or whatever. But Malifaux, as as you mentioned, like being decisive intensive, Malifaux is a game where your choices really do matter. And sometimes, you know, the margin between two players it, it can be narrow enough to where one decision that didn't necessarily seem all that critical can have a huge impact on the game and maybe even go as far as to say, like, decide the game, right? Like, I recall we played a game a couple of months ago where I was the Vix and you were uh, Karis and I was able to uh, murder your fire golem on turn one just because he was a little bit forward. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, and we're fairly evenly matched as players. So getting that sort of advantage off just a slight mispositioning a lot of games don't have that impact absent some sort of like super super unusual dice roll right mm -hmm. so yeah malavo is not necessarily the easiest game uh to play yeah it's also fairly time intensive as you discussed you know like once you get experience with it and you know your crew and the opponent knows their crew you're still looking about like two to three hours for a game mm -hmm. and you know when we have new players in you know the first time playing their crew I've seen games run like four to five hours and 
they won't even necessarily resolve within that time. Yeah. You know, in the average crew, there's usually around eight models. Mm -hmm. They all have front of card abilities. They all have individual actions on the back of their card. There's a, a public shared objective, you know, the strategy that both players are on, and each player has secret schemes. There's just a lot going on that makes uh, those first couple of games take a long time. And some players really might never get the experience down below like three and a half hours or something, right? Like you might look at Malifaux and because it's a skirmish game, you might think it's it's uh, like going to be half hour to an hour like Warcry might be. Mm -hmm. But no, uh, Malifaux, because of its depth, uh, you're looking at about the same time investment as, you know, a game of 40K or something like that. Yeah, and I think the important thing too is like that time is also going to fluctuate. Even if you're an experienced player, playing with a new crew is going to add a lot of time to it. Because I feel like for the most part, running demos, I don't see too many people like struggle with like the basic or generic rules for everyone, you know, like how to move, how to like fight, how to like charge and things like that. Like they're pretty simple and straightforward and people pick up on it pretty quick. But like you're saying, it's all the little actions, how every model kind of has its own set of attacks. They have their own triggers. They have their own synergies. They have things they want to be doing, like support movements, ways to kind of like bend the rules of the game a little bit or really change up interactions. And that's where like the majority of your time goes, like figuring out, all right, what can they do? What do they want to do and in this situation am i able to accomplish that right and and in our demo which you know we just use two set schemes which are public and, and both players are on them we use assassinate and then we use a scheme marker one like spread them out or search the ruins or, or you know whatever in order to demonstrate the fact that there's value in sort of these non-fighting actions but that's just another thing that a player has to you know has to learn you know i have a lot of sympathy for for newer players who are confronted by just this huge stack of information. And, and, you know, fortunately, we've learned our lesson. We do not do full-size games as a demo. We, you know, we're at a point, actually, where I think our demos have become reasonably smooth. And we do them core box versus core box. There's a couple of core boxes we think work well. Um, you know, we like Cornelius Bass. We like Sonya. Um, we'll do Mei Fang sometimes. You know, th there's certainly others. But, you know, they tend to be sort of more straightforward. We use the old strategy reckoning, so most of the demo is about fighting, but we have sort of the scheme marker scheme to show that there's value in, in not fighting. Despite all of that, you know, despite being experienced with demos, despite it only being a half-size game, despite using public schemes and not picking schemes, yeah, demos can take, you know, two to three hours. And so it, it, if you do a demo and it takes you two hours and you're like, well, now I'm going to play a full-size game, which is twice the size. <laughs> if that's a little intimidating to you, I, I understand. And if you can't fit Malvo into a window that works for you, or you know, if you really think that's more time than you want on a skirmish game, I can understand that. But if you do think that uh, a game with more mechanical depth, you know, decisions that really matter, with asymmetry in, in play and in play styles, and in the ability really to carve out territory that, that is yours, right? Like one benefit of, of masters having become sort of like the army selection is it's pretty easy if you're the kind of person who like it's really important to you to be playing something that's distinctive or, you know, like your own turf. It's pretty easy to find something that no one else is playing because there's just so many choices and there's uh, more coming. Yes, well, it's something like, you know, it's not quite eight per faction because there are a couple of dual faction masters. But yeah, I think there's probably like in the high 50s or maybe 60 masters. And of course, there's uh, like what, six more coming? Yeah, yep, okay. <laughs> right around the corner. So yeah, 
Uh, again, we didn't want to spend a ton of time into it because we have talked about it in the other episodes, but if those things sound great to you, you might be a mouthful player. If they sound terrible to you, uh, you know, there are other options. All right, so to go back to products, and it's unfortunate we had to have that little segue, but it's because I can't read outlines. Um, so to go back to products real fast, Colgan, you know, you're a new player. You, you've you bought your master box. How do you get to 50 stones? Um, yeah, so I think the main thing is you just want to f- focus on building out your keyword. So every master has a keyword associated with them. Some have two. If you get the Malifaux app, which you definitely should, um, you can look through and you can see what are all the keyword models are for your master. And I think for most keywords, you usually have about like anywhere from like seven to nine keyword models. Mm-hmm. So start out from there. Um, I think after getting a few games in with just the core box, maybe like one or two, you might have an idea of like whether you want to be a little more aggressive, whether you want to be a little more schemy. And you can kind of look for specific keyword models that match that. And when you're going for 50 stones, one thing I think you should always keep in mind is you don't want to spend all of your stones on models. So I I think when you're first starting out, you should keep at least like five stones um, to use in the game just to get used to the mechanic. And after that, you can adjust based on how valuable you think it is for your crew. Because yes, depending on your mastering keyword, stones will be more or less valuable. So I think probably like a good marker is stick with five stones. So you're looking at getting up to like 45 stones of models. And yeah, generally that's going to be like the core box and maybe one to two expansion boxes, again, depending on your keyword and exactly what you're aiming for. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think filling out your keyword is is a natural uh, next step. Now, of course, I mean, I understand this is the other coast. It depends, right? There's the questions about uh, how useful the title is and how useful the shared model is. But generally speaking, what sort of priority would you put on picking up the title box for the for the master that you've selected? Assuming that, you know, after a game or two with the core box, the master is, is providing what you're looking for. Yeah, like, again, I think it depends on how useful that versatile model is for you. I think, you know, because that model is meant to be used by two different keywords that aren't even necessarily in the same faction or have very different play styles, I feel like their effectiveness is generally favors one keyword over the other. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a fine pickup if it's something you think you'd be interested in. But if you're just trying to, I guess, get to like 45 stones and as few purchases as possible, it's probably not very cost efficient from that standpoint. Right, right, sure. Uh, and then, of course, you know, after you've fleshed out your keyword, um, there's many useful resources um, available online, which will, you know, we have a section later to talk about uh, how to learn about the game. But you can go to places and ask for advice uh, regarding out of keyword or, or versatile models. that might also be good pickups uh, for your particular crew. You know, Kogan, how well do you think just a straight keyword build um, can play? Do you, do you think that that's going to be sufficient to offer you enough of a chance in most games? Or do you really think it is like, yeah, you know, you fill out the keyword because it's an easy next step, but really to play at more advanced levels or to play, you know, against stronger people, you're going to need those versatile or out of keyword tools. Um, I think you can play full keyword without huge issues. I mean, obviously within any game, if you're trying, if you're going through like the top, top level, it's going to depend heavily on the keyword you're playing, whether or not being full keyword is good. But I think even in that case, I, I feel like most players will play majority keyword and then you're bringing in maybe one to two either out of keyword or versatile models to 
I guess, shore up some weaknesses in the crew itself or to, I guess, further exploit a theme that the keyword has. That makes sense. Uh, let's talk about summoners real fast, right? Summoners are able to add models um, from outside the game, mm-hmm. generally minions. I mean, there are a couple of exceptions, but, you know, generally minions. And so, you know, do you think summoners are playable without, uh, you know, getting the whole keyword first? Yeah, I, I, they are playable, but I think you are going to be putting yourself at more of a disadvantage than you would with other non-summoner masters. Um, that being said, because there is such a big pool of summons, depending on the master, there's probably going to be like one or two summons you lean into a lot and others you don't necessarily ever summon. Because mm-hmm. like I played a lot of Asami and her summoning pool, I think, is probably one of the biggest ones in the game. Yeah. Like she has so many options for summoning versus like Dreamer, who has, I think, three now at this point since they knocked off the puppets, which were kind of like your go-to summon. The stitch together. <laughs> yeah, stitch together. And like what you use them for is going to be kind of different. You can play with the core box for a little bit, but I also think the summoner core boxes are generally a bit weaker because, again, you can't really summon anything into the game. Or if you do, it's going to be that one minion that came with the core box. So summoners exist in like, um, they're in a weird spot where they're harder to get started with, but I think in general, like their power level is going to be solid across the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I think summoning provides a lot of a lot of tools. And even where, um, you know, where, where models maybe don't, don't summon in a bunch of new, like if masters maybe don't summon in a bunch of new models, um, with the titles, we're seeing more and more masters being able to resummon their totem. Mm-hmm. Just as, you know, a sign that Weird is recognizing that uh, for some of these masters, the way their totem plays is really quite central and and losing your totem is it you know can just be crippling so you know we're, we're seeing uh you know like dreamer 2 can can resummon pandora 2 can resummon the totem mm. that's just a thing that's becoming more widespread so you know if you've played a couple of games and and you know you're you're enjoying it and you want to sort of expand because we you know spent all this time hammering about how weak faction synergy is uh when you're looking to maybe pick up your next master is it just, oh, well, I like this master. It's not in the same faction. I'm just going to pick it up because there's no point to faction synergy. Or is there really value in in sort of expanding into the same faction? I don't really think there's any particular value in expanding into the same faction. I mean, like, of course, sometimes you're like, oh, you can, re- you know, you can use the same versatile because they fit with both these masters. And I guess, you know, you save your, you know, you save yourself some time and money in that case. But I don't think it's a it's a strong enough reason to like try and stay in faction. I don't think there's a particular benefit. Like I think out of keyword picks are becoming increasingly rare as we see more errata updates. You know, when we started, there were some things that you took all the time, but again, with how weird designers seem to want it to be, you know, they don't want that kind of like super unit in a faction. So I think more and more um, keywords are becoming more disconnected from the faction. So for people who, you know, maybe do sort of see themselves as, as factional players or, or, you know, who would want that kind of experience, are there any factions that you maybe could rep- uh, recommend as being more coherent, either mechanically or aesthetically or, you know, optimally both? Um, yeah, I, I guess that's part of the problem. Like, even though I've been playing for so long, I don't feel like I know a faction well enough to be able to make that kind of statement. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um. So I, I guess right now I would say no. I don't think there's any faction that's like similar enough that like, oh, if I really like this one master's playstyle, I'll like the other seven. I, I think probably like the closest thing is Bayou, but that's only in terms of aesthetics. 
because mm-hmm. I I feel like pretty much every Bayou Master has like a pig or like some kind of like wacky zany model in some form. Yeah, no, sure. I mean, the factions because I think the game was intended to be sort of factionally based. The factions include a, a wide range of playstyles. Now that it you know it's more or less true that most masters can play into most pools you know the need for that dynamic has has been greatly reduced and so we're left with factions that really aren't like linked mechanically now aesthetically you know as you mentioned the bayou i think the 10 thunders have a stronger sort of communal aesthetic vibe than Mm. most of the other factions and you know to a certain extent i think with guild uh because it is so human focused many people might find their aesthetic a bit bland you know compared to some of the others possibly but it is i think a bit more uniform i guess i would just push back because i feel like that point if you're picking for aesthetics it's still no reason that you should necessarily limit yourself to a faction i mean if you like the aesthetics and all the aesthetics you like happen to be in the same faction like that's great i still don't think that'd be a push like basically yeah like i was saying i don't think there's really any like mechanical reason to stay in faction Sure, sure. I mean, and and I mean, I I, I would agree. I I guess I was just trying to say, you know, for people who do see themselves as sort of like interested at the faction level, Mm -hmm. is there anything that they can kind of latch on to as a reason? And I think aesthetics, although, you know, kind of weak, are, you know, there are a few options that maybe would provide such a player enough for what they're looking for. Uh, and then, you know, finally, it's possible, right, that you can play Malifaux and not enjoy it, which is perfectly fine, right? Yeah, I think that's probably, again, like after you play a few games, you know, I was talking about how there's a lot of different play styles. And I I think sometimes it can be hard, especially when you first start a game, to figure out whether it's like, well, maybe this Master's play style doesn't fit me, or is it just the game itself isn't really giving me what i'm what i want Mm -hmm. so i guess it's like at that point you know i guess like talk with your opponents i guess like analyze the game and see like what's going wrong if you know if it's strategical or tactical then i think you know changing over to another master or a different play style can definitely help if you just don't like having to like balance all the triggers or like constantly having to juggle like all these priorities um then you know maybe malfo isn't quite the right match for you yeah, no, I mean, I, I would agree. It's not everything is going to be for everyone, uh, and that's okay. All right, so uh, the next section is uh, how to learn more about the game because, uh, you know, just just like uh, the fact that people frequently have to ask how to get into the game is maybe an indication that it's not super clear from the outside. Uh, it may not be clear to people that there are actually a lot of great resources out there to learn about the game and you know i'll just go through a couple of these pretty quick because uh, not all of them need an in-depth discussion um but the weird forums uh weird has official forums they're a pretty good place to learn about the game it might be thought in 2022 that forums are antiquated but in fact they are you know i think a better venue for certain kinds of discussion you know and and i also think that it's easier to keep distinct topics uh, separated in you know on a forum than maybe on discord or you know more instant communication especially because uh it's like a discord server for something from alpha which has players from all over the world that might be moving 24 7 but if you are involved in that discussion 
you are probably not able to dedicate 24 hours a day, seven days a week to that discussion. So yes, forums may seem kind of old fashioned, but uh, I do think the weird forums are useful for certain categories of conversation. Uh, Weird also maintains an official Discord, and there are other Discords too. I think the most prominent of which is the Vassal Looking for Group channel, because that is a great place to find Vassal games. You know, Malfo played online over Vassal or over um, Tabletop Simulator, and it's just got a really knowledgeable player base, and they're always happy to help people. A lot of different podcasts have Discords. We have a Discord, and so you're also welcome there. There's Facebook groups. Facebook groups, again, you know, if you're a, a younger person, Facebook might have this sense of being antiquated or, you know, being being for old people. But Facebook really is a useful way to organize for gaming and um, a weird place, the official weird Facebook page. It might sometimes be a dubious source of information, but <laughs> <laughs> you can get uh, you can get answers there quite quickly. You know, there's also a, a Malifaux channel on Reddit, uh, Goonhammer. Um, does articles about uh, Malifaux now. Yeah, so there's just a lot of like websites out there. There's also a lot of podcasts, including the podcast that you're learning, listening to right now. Zikoya, what are some other podcasts that are available with Malifaux content that you might recommend? Um, yeah, there's the Third Floor Wars. They don't mm-hmm. make as much Malifaux content now, but back when M3 started, they were, I think, one of the only podcasts around, or definitely one of the most well-known. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have a huge amount of Malifaux content. I think some of it might be a little bit dated now since, you know, it was back before all of the current revisions and stuff like that. But it's probably still a good way to get yourself, I guess, situated with Malifaux as a whole. Yeah, it's also, you know, we were saying, you know, find the master box that appeals to you. Third Floors has a ton of, you know, what they call deep dives into specific masters. And, you know, the version one, the the original version of that master, so excluding the title version, uh, in most cases has not changed that much. So it's still a pretty good introduction for most of the masters. Yep, yep, for sure. Um, there's also Swamp Fiends. Um, we've had Cody on our podcast a couple of times. I think we probably have kind of like a common way of uh, approaching... I guess, how we do our podcast. Um, Swamp Fiends also tends to talk a little more about the meta and like, I guess, the idea of like, how do you learn to get better at Malifaux and like the meta discussion as opposed to like necessarily diving deep and like going through exactly how to play a keyword. Right. Yeah. I mean, Swamp Fiends, it doesn't have like a ton of battle reports. I don't think it's any battle reports for that matter. I mean, it doesn't have like master deep dives. That's not what it's about. It's more about like examining various topics uh, in Malifaux or sometimes, you know, in gaming in general, usually through the lens of Malifaux or, or relating the topic back to Malifaux. I, I wish it were updated more frequently. You know, I, I know Cody is is a, a new father and you know, he's got other stuff going on and, and stuff like that. So I, I can't really you know complain that much. But I, just, I enjoy the way Swamp Fiends looks at the topics uh, that Cody, you know, decides to take up. And so I, I wish it were updated more frequently. That's pretty much my only knock on Swamp Fiends. But I would definitely suggest it as a, a, a great resource. Yeah, what's another one, Colgan? Uh, we got the Steam Powered Scoundrels, which they have a really interesting mix of things. They have like some episodes where they play around with a lot of like what if lore questions, which I think can be pretty entertaining. Um, so if you're really I think if you're really interested in like the Malfour lore, this is probably a good podcast to pick up. Well, so their episodes are a little bit on the longer side. 
which, you know, if you have a long commute or, or something, you know, or, or if you're the kind of person who is, is fine listening in, in several sessions, uh, that might work great for you. If you're looking for like a half hour or 45 minute experience, well, I mean, our podcast isn't going to fit that either. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the, you know, the episode length might turn you off a bit. But yeah, you know, they, they approach Malifaux uh, in a way that is distinct among the podcasts. And, and so I, I would definitely recommend anyone check them out and you, you know, you might find it for you, you, you might not, but I, there's a lot of valuable content there. And, you know, on, on sort of that note, there's way more podcasts out there. There's, there's too many for us to really list uh, in, in total. Um, we certainly don't mean to leave anyone out, right? Like there's, you know, Schemes and Stones has been going for years. The Capital City crew, really strong players. You know, there's Rage Quit Wire and Halifo, or I, I think I'm saying that's right. I really like the ads that Halifo has in their episodes, um, like their in-world ads. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of uh, really good podcasts out there. Each one is going to have, you know, its its own flavor. Each one's going to cover sort of slightly different materials. And even if they're covering the same stuff, um, like a master deep dive, no two pods are, are going to have the same opinions on everything. And, and so, um, yeah, there's a lot of content out there. Listen and, you know, find the ones that sort of speak best to you. The last one I do kind of want to highlight, though, is the Breachside broadcast, because this is put out by Weird. And it's lore focused, right? They just they go into the stories of uh, published stories of, of Malavo, and so you can learn a lot about the lore that way. YouTube channels. There's also YouTube channels, right? Colgan, uh, can you tell us a, about a couple of those? Yep, Jim uh, is part of the other coast. We have him on the show quite a bit. He has his own channel where he'll upload a lot of the games he plays on Vassal. So mm-hmm. if you're getting into the game and you kind of want to see what play looks like at higher levels, I think that's a great way to get involved because he plays in a lot of online vassal tournaments. And you can kind of see what people are actually doing, I guess, in the more competitive scene. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's TNG. They have a lot of good battle reports. They also do a lot of like master highlights as well. So it can be a, another good way to see like whether or not a master would fit what you're looking for. Yeah. There's Malifaux University, which puts out a lot of great material when you're first starting in the game, explaining a lot of different concepts. So I think they're definitely worth a look into, especially if you're tuning into our podcast for this episode specifically. (laughs) Yeah, I wanted to highlight a household gamer because they do these lunch break battle reports. Uh, And we had, you know, mentioned uh, length in relation to some of the podcasts you know, if you're looking for like a 20 minute battle report, yeah, obviously it's not going to be exhaustive. It's not going to cover everything that that's going on, but it's 20 minutes, right? So you can, you can get sort of a shorter dose of Malifaux. You know, to me, one reason why I like to talk about these like internet resources that you can consume kind of passively in some cases where if you just sort of have a podcast on or, or YouTube channel on is, is uh, background noise or actively, if it, you know, if you're really focusing on the content and you know trying to absorb it or whatever one thing it can you know help do that maybe isn't appreciated so much is it can help sustain and even grow Malifaux enthusiasm right it's a way to interact with the game of Malifaux when you can't be actually at the table either because you know you don't have a local meta yet or you know you maybe you have a great healthy meta and you just want more Malifaux in your life uh, so not only, you know, are these resources available to, you know, help you improve in the game or help you learn more in the game about the game, or, you know, if you're already an expert, at least like provide a different perspective about the game, aside from any practical benefit in, in relationship to Malifaux, 
it can just be fun and sustain your affection for the game to consume these resources. I find that when I get excited for something, mm-hmm. like I consume a lot of information about it. Mm-hmm. And then that becomes like a positive feedback loop, right? It becomes a, like a snowball effect. And then there's, you know, other times when maybe I can't uh, like engage in the activity so much. Mm-hmm. Being able to, you know, to listen to a podcast or to read something or, or, or whatever. It's a way that makes me feel engaged. Yeah, for sure. I know there's like, I know there have been like some other like smaller games. And then when we're trying to build up hype, I know a lot of people will be like, well, I can't, you know, they can't find any podcasts. I can't find any YouTube channels or they find one and it's like a battle report from like five years ago. And it's like the <laughs> only thing on that channel. And it can, yeah, it can kind of like stunt the growth of it a little bit. And it can also make it hard sometimes because it's nice. Like there's so many you know, Malifaux battle reports, so many Malifaux podcasts that if you have rules questions, like chances are, you know, they've been answered somewhere amongst all these people or discussed or they're, you know, Jeff has been fighting about it on the forum (laughs) since time immemorial. (laughs) And you'll have your answer. Whereas like, you know, some of them, I guess like I've been playing like some Osprey games. There's like some rule things where it's just like, it's unclear. And then since there aren't really any fan resources out there, um, it's not really clear how it should be resolved. And then it just kind of ends up, I guess it can s- sometimes end up in like an uncomfortable way in the local meta where it's like, no one's really happy with how the resolution should be. Cause no matter what it feels like, it might be like favoring one person over the other where, and it's nice to have kind of this like consensus on how it should be when it's not really clear. Yeah. Well, and I also think it speaks well of Malifaux that it has so many uh, content producers uh, out there, right? Malifaux, it's it's a smaller game. It's not a Games mm-hmm. Workshop game, right? It, it's it's weird as a successful game company, but that bar is pretty low because tabletop gaming is not the biggest industry in the world. But as we've been talking about, it's not necessarily the easiest game to get into, either like from a product standpoint or like from a playing standpoint. So you know, I I do think it it says a lot that there's people who feel passionately enough about Malifaux um, to be making this stuff, uh, and I I would actually be a little bit concerned if I were to start a game and not really find anyone who's willing to speak up for it on online, where like even the most reprehensible of opinions can find advocates. <laughs> yeah, so we mentioned that briefly, but the app is another fantastic resource about the game. Uh, the app is free, as are the rules, as you know, all miniature game rules should be in 2022. You can build your own crews. You can see every card in the game. I mean, although the app occasionally suffers from bugs, and sometimes those bugs can be even crippling, it's it's really just a fantastic app and one of, if not the best app in in miniatures games. Yeah, and like honestly, compared to like all the headaches and bugs I hear about like the GW paid subscription app, like the, the bugs that come up in Malifaux are like cute at best. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, uh, I, I could just like go on, you know, (laughs) for hours about, about GW. It's, it surprises me how poorly they can treat their customers and still be just this behemoth that no one can challenge. Like, 
If they had to stand on their gameplay alone, they would have gone bankrupt. If they have to stand on the way they treat their customers or their pricing scheme or like whatever, like why does GW still exist? Well, they've got a really cool universe and they've been around for a long time. Ugh. Anyways, so one other thing that actually we didn't include in our outline and I'm surprised I thought of and you didn't that might draw someone to Malifaux or might be a reason to get into Malifaux is that the sculpts are really they're they're unique the other there aren't other war games out there that that have uh, Malifaux's look or the range of like different crews that that Malifaux has building is a pain and I everyone who listens to this podcast knows my opinion about painting although since this is for new players maybe you don't know I hate painting you hate building too don't try to act like you build your own models yes I also hate building um (laughs) but you know for people who maybe are more interested in the hobby side Malifaux offers some interesting challenges if you're looking for hobby challenge in like you know building them and then for you know painting them as I said there's really nothing like Malifaux models in any other game yeah the more i guess like the mixture of elements is pretty unique and like how many games do you have like cannibals fighting with robots fighting with teddy roosevelt (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah so you know if you if you are a painter you probably can find you know a master or something that that really looks like something that you would uh like to waste time painting all right so you know i i think there's probably more that can go into in, into like how to get into Malavo, but I think a lot of it is going to be sort of um, variations on a theme. Of course, there's also, you know, very possible stuff we didn't think of. But as a whole, I hope that, you know, we've managed to provide a, at least some information about how to get into Malavo and then like some sense of uh, some of the strengths of Malavo and maybe some warning signs or, or, or some things that, you know, might might be something to think about as to whether or not Malavo is really going to be the right game for you. Uh, Colin, do you have anything else you really, you know, you want to bring up about sort of how to get into Malifaux or the new player experience? The only thing would be download the app. You know, all the rules are free, which is great. You can definitely, you know, you can have a pretty strong idea of how a crew is going to play before you um, ever buy it. Um, And there's always the Vassal option. So you can actually test it out, maybe get in. I'm not sure... I'd imagine it wouldn't be too difficult to find someone to run you through a demo on Vassal, but I've never attempted it, so I have no idea. So that could be a great way to get started. Yeah, I mean, on on the Vassal Looking for Group channel, I see people asking for demos and and they get games. In fact, uh, one of our local players, uh, Dylan, you know, he was trying to get into Vassal and and he managed to get a demo actually with a a, like a really strong, well known player. So yeah, there are people out there who want to help, and the the vassal community is very welcoming. So I I I don't think anyone out there should be discouraged in any way. But I said that you said maybe want to ask a follow up. You know, when you said you can kind of get a sense of how someone's going to play, and this maybe isn't what you mean, but you know, I want to ask a question anyways. How frequently do you think the aesthetic? You know, when you when you're looking at a crew box and you see the art for for a model, how frequently do you find the playstyle is going to line up with that aesthetic? I feel like for the most part, it matches up pretty well. Um, I think there are some exceptions, but Jack Daw, you want like a ghostly guy with lots of curses, and that's more or less what you get. I guess like everyone in Guild, you get a person with a gun, and they all have guns. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think it matches pretty well. I you know I, I think the the hangout might be, or like I guess the disconnect might be just the way that 
Malifaux plays as a game in and of itself. And like the asymmetry in play leads to like a very big departure from how you normally expect games to play. So like the guy that you pick up, even though they carry a sword, it's like they kind of focus more on like scheming and dropping scheme markers and things like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess the biggest thing is like since we did the caster reveal now, that's just like sitting in my mind as like <laughs> they do not like they have some elements of what I would have expected, but everything else is so way off of what I thought they would play like based on their on their looks. But I, I feel yeah. like up until Castor, it's been okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm in the same boat. Maybe Castor is in an aberration. Um, we'll have to see. Or, or you know, maybe it's just our reaction to those models may may be a bit extreme. I I, I don't know if other people see Castor's model and and they they had the same reaction that we did. Which I guess is a a good way to go into the wrap up. Uh, because you know I would be interested in hearing about your reaction to our our caster or day really any of our other episodes uh because you know we play just in one small part of the globe um but we want to be part of the wider battlefield community and that's why we do this podcast so i mean we love getting feedback and we have many different formats for it you know we have facebook we have discord we can you know we have a reddit channel you can reach us on a lot of the other public discords that we mentioned existing here we have a presence there we have a PayPal and a Patreon if you'd like to support the channel in that way. Uh, that's appreciated. And shout out to all of our awesome backers um, who are just the greatest. And really just anyone who listens, you know, it means a lot to us that, that you spent the time because this is, yeah, it's us talking, but it's not a one-way street. As, as we said, we want to interact with the community. We want to be part of the wider discussion. And the only way we can do that is if people listen to us. So thank you very much. Uh, And with that, um, I think it'll do it for tonight. Night, everyone.